Sometimes, you know, when we're out on the road nowadays and I'm, I'm hitting those notes, I'm going, why did I design these up so high? Because I was young, I was 23, you know, and it was easy to sail up there. When I walked into a record store and listened to the radio as a kid, it seemed like there was always a new cool, badass band or artist on the scene. I mean, each band or artist was completely different and had their own unique sound. That's not an easy thing to do. You couldn't just be good back then. You had to be great. Good wasn't good enough. If you weren't great, it was goodbye. If you wanted to get a record deal in the 60s, you had to keep up with artists like Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Elvis, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, the Rolling Stones, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, Cream, the Who's, Zeppelin, Queens Clearwater, Santana, The Doors, Bob Dylan, Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, the Bee Gees, the Birds, David Bowie, and the great Joe Cocker, just to name a few. And they were all trying to get on the radio. If you wanted to get a record deal in the 70s, you had to keep up with all those artists or bands from the 60s and 70s artists like James Taylor, Black Sabbath, Alice Cooper, Rod Stewart, Van Morrison, Eric Clapton, Jay Giles Band, Jethro Tull, Deep Purple. I mean, all these bands are different. Cat Stevens, The Carpenters, Al Green, Marvin Gaye, Bonnie Waite, Todd Rundgren, Wings, Billy Joel, ZZ Top, Cher, Paul Simon, The Eagles, Steely Dan, Emerson Lake and Palmer, Boss Gags, Michael Jackson, Springsteen, Bob Marley, Iggy Pop, Leonard Skinner, Jackson Brown, Aerosmith, Queen, Diana Ross, Stevie Wonder, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Johnny Cougar, and Heart. Funded by amazing, powerful voice of Ann Wilson. No one in rock and roll, man or woman, could sing like Ann Wilson. She had and still has a magnificent voice with lots of power and conviction. Her iconic voice gave Heart a unique sound. And as soon as you heard Ann sing one note, you knew it was Heart. See, this is what bands needed. They needed something unique. Back then, in order to get a record deal and get your music played on the radio, you had to have great songs. Everyone was trying to get their songs played on the radio because radio sold records. And the North Star was to get a number one hit single, a number one hit album, or both. The successful bands had great musicians that worked together as a team, creating unique parts, sounds, and arrangements that no one had ever heard before. And the songs, had to have great lyrics that people could relate to, a story, a message, or both. Hard had it all, and they revolutionized a male-dominated genre, breaking down barriers for all the female artists that came after them. Now, in 1982, I did a nine-month tour opening up for Hart with a new band called John Cougar, and every night I would stand on the side of the stage, smiling with amazement, watching Ann Wilson be a rock goddess and crush it. She was the greatest rock and roll singer I'd ever seen up close. But let's fast forward to this year, 2023, where I was fortunate to perform with Anne three times, and she's still crushing it. It's like a dream come true for me to perform Barracuda with her. Now, after watching her perform it with Hart 40 years ago, Anne is a rock and roll icon, a super beautiful person, and Hart is one of the most successful rock bands of all time, having sold over 50 million records worldwide. And they accumulate 20 top 40 singles, 
seven top 10 albums and were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2013. Now, Ann and Nancy were given the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2023. They were lifelong contributions to music. Becoming successful is very difficult, as you can see. But staying successful is even more difficult. Anne has stayed successful for almost five decades with Hart and now her solo career. Her latest album, Another Door, is insanely amazing, brilliant, and super creative and innovative. The first single, This Is Now, sets the tone for the entire record. You got to check it out. But every song on the record, and I mean every song, is amazing. So, Anne, <laughs> thank you for being on my podcast. You know, you keep getting better and better. I think everyone should try to get the most value out of their life. And it seems like you are doing that on so many levels. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what happens if you stick around long enough and just keep, keep on driving. You know, things that you never dreamed would happen, happen. I think that if somebody had told us when we were young, that's the way it works. We'd go, yeah, whatever. But now you, we're a little bit older, we can get perspective and go, oh, my God, this is how it works. Yeah, and that, that perspective is really valuable. I mean, young people, okay, not to diss on young people for being young, but they don't get the whole big picture of it, you know, a lot of the time. I remember my mom said, uh, just made me think of it, she said, Oh, man, my best years were the 60s and the 70s because of what you just said. It was like you had this wisdom, but you were still able to do anything. Well, listen, I mean, I, got, I want to talk about your record, man. I'm telling you, it's the best record I've heard in so many, many oh, years. Oh, thank you. It feels like a, and when I heard it, I went, this is a band. Yeah. It's a band. I mean, and I love the name of your band, Tripsitter. Did you guys write and rehearse the songs together? I mean, you Sounds like you all came into a room and just did it as a band. We did. And different ones of the songs had uh, slightly different procedures, you know, but mostly the guys came up with musical ideas and I came up with lyrics and one would influence the other. Okay, this is the good thing. So you came in there with lyrics, but did you have melodies with those lyrics or you just came in with lyrics? I'll tell you what, like sometimes I came in with full sets of lyrics, no melodies, but when I heard Bukovac play, a lot of the time, that's where the melodies originated. Because the way he plays, I mean, we talked about it a minute ago. He, he just is so melody-oriented that I, got a, I took a lot of inspiration from his play, where melodies are concerned. You know, when I was putting this thing together, I decided, I got to hear this new record. And I mean, as I told you before, after about the third song, I texted Tom Bukovac and went, dude, dude. This is you. I, I feel you all over this record. And I just recorded with him. Of course, you and me get to play with him. <laughs> it's Jim Irsay band, but it's kind of, doesn't it feel that way? I mean, so for people listening, you know, Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts, has this amazing band and he's made it possible for all of us to play together. So you've got Bugovac and Ann, and sometimes we've had Tony when Mike Mills can't do it from REM. Tony, who's an amazing bass player. And they play in Anne's band together. Then you got Kenny Wayne Shepherd, two different guitar players, completely, exceptionally great, playing off each other. And I'll tell you, not to just complete bragging on Book, but that guy knows he does the right thing. He does. It's like he's he's getting the messages from someplace else. You know, he just blew my mind a lot of the time with 
his ideas because they're so right on and so free from excess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like it makes you laugh, right? And he's laughing while he's doing it because he knows it's it's almost like he's like the vehicle, the vessel. Something's coming through him and he's laughing at it just like we are. Like he's like, Can you you dig this? And we're going, Yeah. It's like, who's doing? <laughs> right? Yeah, and on some of the songs he actually didn't play guitar, he played piano. What? Yeah. On the song Little Things and I think he did on um Stranger in a Strange Land. Yeah, he was multi talented. I heard a flute on one song. You play flute, don't you? Yes. So there was flute on one song. I wasn't hallucinating. No, you were not. I play the flute, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I got to ask you. Now, when you recorded, when you guys sorted out a song, got the arrangements, and we're going to go, oh, we're going to record this song. Did you guys do it all as a band and you were singing in the vocal booth? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. We don't all live in the same city. I live in Florida and they all live in Nashville. So I wasn't always there, but... When I wasn't there, they would only go so far. They would take it just musically. They didn't start trying to come up with melodies and words and stuff. They, they waited for me, which was so great, really great. And then we got together whenever we could and spent a week here and a week there. And Well, you're, they can't, you can't do it without Ann Wilson because it's your band, really. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a band, but it's, you know, it was truly a band. I mean, it's. It feels like a band. That's yeah, and in fact, when we first decided to do it together, we said, well, our credo has to be all ideas are welcome. Everyone gets to say their ideas, and they're at least tried, you know. It's not like, shut up and go sit down in the corner, you know. You're a hireling. Was there like an inspiration that you had for this record, or was it what you're describing? You wanted to be a band record, and whatever goes, goes. A band record, whatever goes, goes. And I really didn't want to get self-conscious about it, too calculating about making it be a theme record or making all the songs obviously fit together with a thread. I just wanted to write the songs and see how they lived. And I think they live really well together on the record. There's no question. I mean, you know, when you put it on, and I love that the first song is, is the name of the band, Tripster. But I sort of got, it feels like it's the beginning of a movie. And I felt like I was in like a, one of those old, you know, double, you know, wing planes and you're sitting in the back and someone's flying and you're flying over the Himalayas or the desert, you know, and it's just a vibe. I mean, it sucked me in. And then, bam, it goes into the first single, uh, you know, the second song, which is incredible. And, and it completely sets the tone of this record. And the order, I was going like, who picked the order? This is running orders. Like, it's like, you remember there used to be concept records, like the Beatles had Sgt. Peppers and, and Pink Floyd, or even Yes when they had uh, Close to the Edge, or Pink Floyd. They're concept records. Like, yeah, you have individual songs, but they run into each other real well. This album is that. I mean, I've already heard it three times. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I listen to two songs like, yeah, that's good, because I'm so busy. But this album, it feels like maybe it's, it's triggering the vibe of what it used to be in a band in the 60s and 70s and even the 80s where, you know, you just rehearse in a room forever for months. I'm sure with heart, when you started off, it's like you just were just trying to be the best that you could be and you get in a room and every day that was your thing. Yeah, yeah. And with heart, way back at the beginning, we did a couple of albums that were all joined together with reprises and all that kind of stuff. 
So I know what you're talking about. It's very cool as a listener to sit down and if you have time, you know, to sit down and actually listen to a whole album and just take the journey, take the trip. This is the journey. And I mean, I'm, now that I'm 29, I've been around. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> well, when you shave your head, you see, there's no gray. Yeah. That's, that's, you're, you're timeless. You're ageless. <laughs> okay. Now I want to talk about this song, Reign of Hell. I mean, this to me, Remind me of the 90s with, you know, Seattle vibe. You know, we had Soundgarden, Nirvana, and Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, even Mother Lovebone. You remember them? Oh, yeah. It brought me back to that. Am I hallucinating? or is You're not hallucinating. I just got into this state of mind where I was pretty heartbroken about what was going on in Ukraine. And all of a sudden, it seems the world is infected by this war fever again. I know it's always going on on a low level, but now it just seems like it's flaring up in this way that has just broke my heart. And when my heart gets broken, I get mad. That's my kind of my reaction. And I can't not talk about it. So the lyrics to Reign of Hell are pretty intense. They're about what it's like to be on the ground in a war scene, to be a, like a child or a civilian just watching all this stuff come at you, you know, all this hell just dropping from the sky well that's a heavy song man i mean i was going to ask you what motivated you to write those lyrics but you just answered it were you still living in seattle at that time when those guys were starting up oh yeah yeah were you friends with those guys you know nirvana the allison chains and mother love bone and the seattle music scene is pretty tight-knit where it was at that point i don't know what it's like now because i haven't lived there for a number of years but at that point it was really tight-knit and i happened to have a house that was pretty centrally located on Capitol Hill. It was a natural for people to all end up there after somebody's gig. And people were always uh, getting up on other people's stages, you know, and then showing up at the house afterward and drinking beer and smoking cigs <laughs> in my kitchen. Dude, you got to <laughs> oh my God. Oh man, let's go back to that day. I'd love it. Chris Cornell walked through the door and then Dave Grohl and Kirk Cobain and, you know, Jerry Cantrell. I mean, Kim Thale. You know, I remember, oh, Kelly, who managed Pearl Jam. What was Kelly's last name? He worked Curtis. So in 1990, right about that time, I'm still with Mellencamp, but I'm doing sessions like all over the place. And I came really established as a session drummer in uh, L.A. I had drums in Nashville, New York, L.A. Anyway, I run into Kelly Curtis on the street, and he's going to see Mother Love Bone at the Roxy or something. He says, Kenny. I went, I recognize you, says Kelly Curtis. You remember me from the heart tour? I went, oh my God, what are you doing? And he said to me, hey man, you should come up to Seattle, man. There's a whole thing happening. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, I'm super busy. You know, I had no <laughs> idea what he was talking about. I was like, I was like, nah, I'm kind of I'm busy down here. I think a lot of people who didn't live there didn't understand what it was like, but it was like total immersion. Everybody super cared. I guess it was time for the 80s and all that artifice and excess to get blown off the map. It was the flood that took care of all that, you know? Well, you did it. You guys, did, they did They it. did it for sure, yeah. I remember I was doing a record at Henson. It was for Patti Smythe. Sometimes love just ain't enough. Beautiful ballad. Don Henley sang a duet with Patti Smythe. And I'm going, you guys are wasting your time. Haven't you heard what's going on up there in Seattle? Nobody will play this record on the radio. 
It went to number one because it was a great, you know, right. song yeah. and, and you got Don Henley on there. But that's how powerful that movement was. And that, and that brings me to this song, Ruler of the Night. At the end, at the end, it's got this time signature. I don't know if you count time signature, but I do. So at the end, it's four, four, two, four, three, four, two times. And then it's four, four, three, four, two times. You leave out the two, four. Is that a Bukovac thing? I mean, who came up with that? Was that was a Ryan Warner thing. Ryan Warner joined the band right after Bukovac departed. And that was one of his first contributions. Dude, that is so cool. And the cool thing about that, the only time you hear that cycle is at the end. It's like you've already heard the song. It's amazing. And then that comes in. It's like, I'm like, oh, come on. I loved it. I just completely loved it. I'm sitting there, wait a minute. <laughs> What's going on here? You know, when you have odd meter, that's one thing, but it wasn't the melodies that he came up with. It ended up being odd meter. They didn't just create it odd meter. It was that if you have to count it so you can play it, it's in odd meter, but it was very musical. That's my point. That's the thing I like is when, like in the song Barracuda, when you throw in an extra bar, but you don't think about it as an extra bar. You just feel it. You just feel where it's going. You know when to hit the one again. <laughs> I know, man. Well, Barracuda is a good example. This is such a great album. And the other album, the one before this, is great, too. Do you feel like you just broke into a whole new part of your career? It's like It seems like you're writing your best stuff right now. I do feel that way. I feel that I'm more satisfied now as a writer. And it's, it's getting me off now more than it ever has because I'm writing by myself and with these guys who really support me in this way that is so cool. There's no big judgment committee hanging up in the sky going like, oh, no, you can't use that word. Or, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you get with a songwriting crew that just they do nothing but judge. So pretty soon you're too scared to even say your ideas because you know they're going to get shot down. We didn't have that at all. I felt really just free flowing. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to making another record with them. They want to. They'll want to. The thing is that you can feel that. That's like, okay, there's the songs, there's the performances, but there's a vibe. That's what I'm feeling that's on top of it, like the umbrella over the whole thing. And the vibe is what everything you're talking about, the attitude that you all had before you even made one note. That is what's magical to me. And that is the stuff that I think, you know, when I was talking, listing all those bands from the 60s and 70s, People were more in that genre because they were just, music was kind of new getting on the radio. So they were just doing it, you know what I mean? And then it got more calculated, you know, because you could make money. Yeah. I feel that. It's like it reminds me of the greatest times in music in rock and roll. I tell you, if a songwriter can catch that wave, that particular wave you're talking about, that is gold. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about the experience of doing it, you know, and the the Renaissance feeling of actually being an artist. Oh, yeah. Are you guys going to get to go on tour for this record, like next year, 2020? Yeah, we've been on tour. As a band? We've been on tour as a band since uh, June, and we're just on a break right now, but we have one more leg to do this year, and then next year is like... Wow. But now, Heart, are they going out next year, too? Yeah. So then it's the juggle, the schedule juggle, right? It's, it's the most weird complicated thing to juggle yeah because we're all really behind another door and behind trip sitter that whole thing but the minute you say heart 
all eyes just go to the art world. Yeah, of course. I get it. I get it. You know, it'd be like saying, well, there's so many examples of that. I get it. That, yeah. Now, do you, <laughs> without saying anything, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> do you do any heart songs in the Tripsitter set? Yeah, we do. We do quite a few. Oh, cool. So now my question is, are you singing those songs in the same keys that you did when you were with Heart? Yes, all but one. And oh my God. Uh, the one that we came down on was straight on. But Crazy on You, yeah, same key, all that kind of stuff. And sometimes, you know, when we're out on the road nowadays and I'm, I'm hitting those notes, I'm going, why did I design these up so high? <laughs> yeah. Because I was young, I was 23, you know, and it was easy to sail up there. And now it's kind of, a little bit more of a challenge. I have to warm up a lot more beforehand, but I can get there. Yeah, I mean, when you're young, you're trying to sell it. You know, it's like you know, you're trying to. You know, I mean, you're like you're trying to convince everybody. Hey, man, I, you know, and you, yeah, you're younger. You know, you <laughs> you want to go as high as you can. Yeah, go. you got to tell me who came up with the name Tripsitter. And I mean, were you guys having drinks one night and laughing? Or I mean, what is a Tripsitter? A Tripsitter is like the designated driver who's there while people are experimenting with psychedelics and they're the person that kind of sits there and makes sure that everyone's cool. Is there a trip sitter in the band? Uh, <laughs> it's possibly, Probably maybe not. it's not, maybe, no, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Back in the day when I joined Mellencamp, the process of, of writing songs, he'd come in, you know, play acoustic guitar and sing a song and then, most of the time, he'd turn around and look at me and go, what do you got, Aronoff? Because once I came up with that part for Jack and Diane, Jack and Diane wasn't even going to make it on the record. We were young. We didn't know how to present it. It was boring just the way it was. The lyrics were cool. Anyway, it became a hit, number one hit. So after that, John, why wouldn't he turn around and look at me? What do you got? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, shit, I was like always biting my nails because I mean, acoustic guitar and vocal, they start to all sound the same. And John would even say, they all are the same, you know. But it was such a scary process for me because I felt like I was always on edge. Like, what am I going to do with this song? I mean, it hurts so good. I actually played backwards with my left hand on the hi-hat and right hand on the snare drum. Really? Wow. Yeah. I was just trying to do something like be a beginner. And actually, John turned around and went, what's that beat, Aaron Off? I went, Oh, shit. That's the same beat I always play. I'm sorry. He says, no, I love it because he loved the feel of it because I sounded kind of like a beginner and kind of, I couldn't do anything fancy. And when I went around the toms with my right hand, I kept the hi-hat going. And it was kind of like a shaker. Oh, they mixed the hi-hat loud. Anyway, my point is back in the day with Hart, did you and Nancy come in with acoustic guitar and say, hey, guys, we got this uh, song. It goes like this. And then everybody arrange it? Or did other people bring songs? Yeah. In fact, you'd be amazed at how different some of the original demos that we came in with were from the actuals. The song Magic Man was unrecognizable. <laughs> and I give a lot of the credit to Mike Flicker, our first producer. He taught us everything we knew the first couple years. He was great at that. And also he was great at things like getting you used to sitting in a room full of people and just going ahead and singing out into the room your little newborn baby ideas, which is really can be intimidating. Yeah, especially back then when you're young. Got used to that, you know, and just got used to giving it. 
even though it was Hart was you and your sister, it still was kind of a band vibe, right? Everybody would bring in ideas. Yeah. What happened was we were bringing in a lot of ideas and other people were too, but the ones that we brought in just were the ones that naturally floated to the top. So was Hart, uh, like it was you and your sister and then you got with other people and it was considered the Wilson sisters band or was it a band and you guys were the musicians in the band? Each different era of Hart, it was a different way. It was like, I'd say in the eighties, it was more of like, the two sisters and some backup guys. Yeah, that's what I saw because that was with Danny Carmasi on drums, Howard Least, and then who's playing bass? Mark Andes. Mark Andes, right. They all came from different bands. Mark Andes was with Spirit and Denny Carmasi was with Montrose and Denny, yeah. what a great drummer, Denny. Oh. <laughs> One of my favorites. Oh my God. Yeah. It was like John Bonham. He was so good. What a feel. Holy shit. Nice guy, too. He was so nice to me when we opened up for you guys. Nine months we opened up for you guys. And it was a particularly painful nine months because John Cougar had a number one record. I know. We were going into the era where we couldn't get arrested, right? And we were headlining the show. So it was uncomfortable. Yeah, I remember what was happening was, so we, we were on tour, but... We had maybe hurt so good, but Jack and Diane was released while we were on tour. And you're right, as every night there were more and more John Cougar fans, and he was all over MTV. We were the new thing, and you guys had been around for six years, you know, and all of a sudden that record, what was that called? Private something? Private audition. You guys were really nice to us. You had George Packer. Yeah. Was the guy that was the tour, the tour man, nicest guy yeah. in the world. Well, I didn't mean to bring up a bad time, but that was uh, that was great for us. Just a time among many, you know. Like I said a while ago, if you stay around long enough, you see they're just eras, and you just kind of roll through them, you know. I call it adapt or die. You have to you have to adapt and adjust to stay relevant because things are changing that we have no control over. That's right. I mean, who would have thought? I used to be in a big studio seven days a week. Nonstop. Now I'm in a big studio seven times a year. This is my studio here because of that. I went, oh my God, they're not selling records anymore. You know, I mean, it's, it's like all of a sudden I felt like I was in the horse and buggy business in the car. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, so we have to adapt and adjust. And yeah, I think it's our love and our just love for doing what we do that keeps us going. You just keep marching forward. So true. It's like you got this new thing. You're just starting with Tripsitter. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. So good. You guys have to make another record. You got to keep going. Yeah, I think so, too. Something tells me we're not done at all. No. Nah. We just kind of nah. got our foot in the door. I'm going to come and play Shaker. On- <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Shaker. I'm going to play Shaker. Let me ask you this. So I'm always blown away how some bands, you know, they have these hit songs and it's over. But with you guys like Barracuda, Magic Man, and Crazy on You, I mean, they're still being played on the, on the radio. They still exist. They somehow have pushed through all the different cultures. I mean, do you have any idea why? I mean, that's crazy. I don't know. I just think that there's something in the, in the universality of those particular songs. Like Barracuda, you can hear it in the elevator somewhere, or you can hear it at Home Depot. You know, it's just, it seems to work in all environments. And 
People just like that guitar riff. They just do. I know. As soon as you hear that guitar riff, you're like, oh, yeah. That'd be like, you know, when you hear boom, boom, ba, boom, boom, ba. The, the Queen's, I mean, forever, that will be great. Yes. <laughs> it just gets, it hits human beings' vibe, you know? Yeah. What did you think when Elton John, you probably heard Elton John said, you're the greatest female vocalist who's ever lived. I mean, God, when Elton John says something like that. He's like one of the singers that I learned off of. Oh. You know, by listening to him. Wow. I think when he gave me that compliment, I thought he, he was maybe exaggerating just a little. <laughs> but, no, but, he wasn't. But it, it, it no. meant so much to me. It really did. It just meant so much. Well, especially because he was your hero. Yeah, and getting little attaboys from your boss, you know, they mean a lot. I got to work with him. I actually was asked to go on tour with him, but I wasn't ready to leave John Mellencamp yet. And that was one of my thoughts in my head. like, oh, to do the right thing? Shit. Oh. But anyway. I bet that was during the time when, when Nigel wasn't with him, right? Exactly. That was when Nigel was with So you know what would have happened? Eventually, Nigel would have come back. So I got this great story. I don't know if you know this. So we did the Kennedy Center Honors. Well, we, I didn't play with you, but I was on that iconic Led Zeppelin. They were honoring Led Zeppelin at the Kennedy Center Honors. So, so check this out. I get a call from the producers, Michael and uh, Stevens. And he goes, hey, Kenny. Well, first of all, I called him up or left a, a text. Him and said, I hadn't heard from him. And it was August. I thought, oh, my God, I hope I'm doing Kennedy Center Honors. I said, dude, what's going on? He says, hey, dude, are you ready to rock and roll with a black dog? I went, oh, my God, he doesn't mean Led Zeppelin. I went, are you talking about Led Zeppelin? I went, that's right. So then I'm like, oh, my God, Led Zeppelin, Kennedy Center Honors. So he calls me up at one point point, goes, hey, Kenny, I got a question for you. We're doing Stairway to Heaven. Who do you think would do it better, Beth Hart or Hart? I went, well, Beth Hart's amazing, but you got to get Hart. You got to get Hart. They are Zeppelin on steroids. You got to get Hart. Wow. They make the phone call. So I'm thinking, I'm going to play with Hart. Stairway to Heaven, Kennedy Center Honors. Then he calls me back a week later or two weeks later and goes, hey, guess what? We got Jason Bond coming. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. What's he playing? Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so then... But it got even better. I said, I know every Zeppelin song. And he says, guess what? We got Foo Fighters. Oh, cool. What are they playing? Rock and roll and Black Dog. I went, oh, no. I can't do that either. But anyway, I don't know if you knew that story. No. Man, I was like, I said, you got to get heart. You got to get heart on so many levels. And it was amazing. And that also, then, didn't that create a relationship between Jason Bonham touring and opening up for you guys? Right around that same time, he... He actually came on stage with Hart, with Tanya, and they did like a 20-minute sort of addition to our set where we did Rain Song and Cashmere and all those Zeppelin songs that you thought you'd never get to play or sing, you know, especially something like Rain Song. You and your sister did Zeppelin songs in the clubs back in the day, right? Oh, yeah. That was one of the first things that Hart ever learned as a band in the basement was like a Led Zeppelin medley. 20, 25 minutes long, something like that, and just hit all the high spots of those early songs. And it just went over like gangbusters in the clubs. Well, who's going to do Led Zeppelin? Then you can sing that stuff amazingly. That's what I thought. That's why I thought you guys would be amazing for that. 
Now, obviously, Led Zeppelin, Elton John was a huge influence on you. Who else was, was it Beatles, the Stones? Yeah, Beatles, Stones. I think I took a lot from Rod Stewart, actually, That's a from Aretha Franklin, very much. So she taught me how to sing high and loud and full voice, you know. Well, talk about Aretha Franklin. You recorded in Muscle Shoals, where Aretha Franklin used to record. Did the whole band go down there, or was it? For people who don't know what Muscle Souls is, this is this incredible studio down in Alabama, Muscle Souls, Alabama, but they had this rhythm section down there. I mean, bands would come there like Bob Seger, Rod Stewart, Wilson Pickett, Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding, Bob Dylan, the Stones even, Leonard Skinner recorded their first record. And a lot of these bands would use, as a matter of fact, when I was recording down there, the piano player that did Bob Seger's rock and roll, I went, please play that beginning. I said, Play it again. Play it again. I made him play it 10 times. <laughs> only he can make it sound like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, did you guys do a heart record down there and did you use the rhythm section down there? No, I, I just had some demos that I wanted to develop on my own. Mm. I called up Vince Gill because I wanted him to sort of be a musical director for me, you know. And he said, no, I can't do it, but hire this guy, Tom Bukovac. I told, so I told Tom, just get together some guys you really like and let's go do it. So we did. And that became what is now Trip Sitter. Whoa. So this is recently you went down to Marshall Show. Yeah. Yeah. It was a year and a half, two years ago now. That's incredible. Thank God. That's good to hear. All right. I want to pivot into this. So I saw this video. That was so touching. And it was you with the dog rescue thing. And you had this, you were talking about this male dog, Sue. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was so touched by that. I was like, you know, you said something like you rescued the dog, you brought it home, and you could see the dog completely change its whole vibe when it walked into your house. That was really beautiful. He was a big black lab. And when we went to rescue him, he had scabs all over his back like scars and and we could never figure out what had happened to him but it looked like somebody had burned him you know so we took him home and and sure enough he came in the house and he just kind of went and laid down and just went yeah you know (laughs) and before too long he was jumping in the pool and catching balls and all that but he had been out in the wild by himself for over a month and he had heartworm and all that so his heart was weak and uh, he went through the cure and everything, but his heart was always weak after that. He died because we have this big tortoise that walks the length of the dog run each day yeah. to do her little, to get food and then come back. And she, each day she makes a little trip. And his favorite thing was to just go nuts when she would walk by. <laughs> and so one day he just went nuts on Trixie the tortoise and his heart gave out. But it was cool, though, because he got to be in his own place, just doing what dogs do best. He was as healthy as he could be. He got to just be barking his head off, going crazy. And that was it. Hey, that's I hope I die like that. Chasing Me too. The turtle, <laughs> <just> drop. <laughs> Me too. You know, I mean, what, what could be better? <laughs> hey, so how many dogs do you have or, and how many have you rescued? And that seems like a big passion for you. Yeah, I've always had dogs right now. We have two, two Westies. We've had all different kinds. 
Wheaton, Terrier, uh, all different kinds. You always did rescue dogs? You always did it that way? I did both. Well, besides dogs and music. <laughs> what else is there? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I was going mean, to... I mean, you have other things on the horizon or that you, you want to do? Chase turtles? I don't know. I don't know. Just I guess I just want to keep chasing the big turtle of the muse forever. Yeah. That's honestly how I feel, you know. I just feel like playing music is the is my calling. Well, the trip sitter is wow. Yeah. You landed on another planet, you should you should colonize it or just keep making records. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's incredible. You gotta keep doing that. That's too good. That's the idea. The whole vibe of that thing is incredible. All right, you gotta tell me what was it <laughs> you recorded with Dolly Parton, right? Yeah, yeah. She she came to the studio with her producer and they had a version of her singing Magic Man to their track. Actually, Howard Lee's played a bunch of guitars on it. Huh. She had already done her whole vocal and everything. They just wanted me to sing my version of it. And then they were just going to make a, a comp type thing. And Dolly, actually, she was so great. She came and she brought her nutritionist and they brought this big spread of Mediterranean food and laid it out for everybody. And she had written a little poem for the end of Magic Man. They had a little departure part at the end where it goes off into like a dream sequence and Dolly does this spoken word poem on the end <laughs> it's really cool I thought she was great and she had her way with it and it worked she's amazing she is cool that's for sure so what was her record like does she have a lot of people on it? is she doing duets with a lot of yeah just about everybody mm. you can name what an honor yeah she is really a cool soul she is and she is what she says she is. She came to the studio and she was all dudeed up, you know, like just dressed to the nines and just like all these bedazzled jeans and just like everything you could possibly wear. She was wearing and looking good, you know, yeah. <laughs> high heels like that tall. And <laughs> yeah. she said she definitely lights up a room. Yeah. So I got to play with her yeah. once. <laughs> she just like. And she knows it, and she loves it, and she embraces it, and she, hey, everybody, you know, she she loves it. She's chasing a tortoise also. Yeah, she <laughs> is. So do you think it's harder now being a woman, you know, because you guys obviously, you know, I know what Barracuda's about. You know, it, it was a, very much a man's business back then. So nowadays, is it easier or harder for a woman, you know, try to break in? Yeah, it's it's hard for me to speak to that. Because I haven't had the experience of being a young woman trying to break in. But I think it's there are a lot more women now. In fact, there's probably too many women now. We need to even it back up again, mm. you know. <laughs> some of the rules have changed. Some have not. I mean, they still have to be young and beautiful and long hair and high heels and all that kind of stuff. That has not changed. They have to be gorgeous. At least a triple threat. I mean, look at Taylor Swift. Yeah, but she really has all... Yeah, no, I'm just curious about that. I mean, and when you were young, your parents obviously supported you guys. You had total, total support, right? Yeah, especially from our father. But our mother was a, looked at the whole thing a little bit more askance, you know. She was a big fan of Judy Garland and that generation of troubled, pill-taking Hollywood stars. Right. And so she she saw that as being the obvious end. You get yeah. into show business, you start taking pills, you you end up dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just said, no, <laughs> no, not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And your dad, he was like military. That's amazing. I would have thought he'd, I figured he'd be the guy going like, you know, no way. Very, very cool. I mean, that's cool. Hey, do you think that you got some of that discipline and that, the type of discipline that keeps you in check? Did you get maybe that from your dad or both parents? Yeah, I think my discipline that keeps me in check probably came from my mother. My father was a pretty wild party guy, but he was a Marine and he managed to be in two wars and do all that kind of stuff and come back and go back and further his education and become an English teacher and all that. So he made a real go of his life. You know, he just liked beer. <laughs> he was chasing his tortoise there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I love performing with my heroes. It's the greatest feeling. And you're definitely one of my heroes. And you, you always will be because I stood on the side of the stage. I was like looking up at you guys. You guys were huge. I knew your music before I was in the Mellencamp band or the Cougar band. And so it's like once you have that relationship, it's, it never goes away. I just want to say thanks for being part of my podcast. And I know we're going to be performing with Jim Irsay again, you know. Yeah. I look forward to that. It's going to be great. At the old Shrine Auditorium, right? Well, that's what they're hoping. Are you available to do that in January? I am. Oh, my God. Well, I am. Too. I am, too. Good. So that's good. We got to do it before everybody goes out on tour. Yeah. And I know Kenny Wayne's available, and I know Bukovac's yeah. available, and I think Mike Mills is available. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that. And, man, you are such a sweetheart. Thank you. And uh, it's so cool. It's so cool to reconnect, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? And we've been through the whole four or five decades of music, and here we are still doing it for the same reasons we we started doing it. We love music. And why not? You know, I mean, what better to give your life to? <laughs> what else am I going to do? I love it. This makes us, look, you got to admit, this makes us feel good mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Hello. Yes. <laughs> Hello. Well, every time I see a tortoise, I'm going to think of you now. <laughs> All right, well, listen, and thank you. Thank you for having me, Kenny. <laughs>